Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. This morning, our reading comes in three parts. Psalm 131 is our Old Testament reading for today. O Lord, My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Our New Testament reading for today is John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And lastly, our third reading is Philippians chapter 4, Verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, CPC. Um, I am. My name is Pastor Jerry Ornelas, um, and I first want to offer a word of thank you to all of those who have prayed and supported both myself and my wife Michelle, and the birth of our newborn baby, um, Ezra. Um, your, your your gifts of love, the food that you fed us. I'm a few belt length. My, my, my belt, let, you know, waist has gotten bigger. Um, thank you for that. No, seriously. Um, let's pray. Father, we, we come to you now, Lord, um, wholly dependent upon you. And let our hearts now have, have gone out to our dear sister Stacy and John and our brother John. Lord, may you comfort our hearts now. Whatever we are feeling, we, we bring it to you, trusting, Lord, that you know what is best also believing that you are the great physician, that even now you're interceding and even now you're working your wonders. So Lord, calm us, 
and speak to us. In Christ's name, amen. So it was about five years ago, many of you remember, when I interned here, 2018, and I, this was the first sermon that I preached. And I want to return to it because it's just as impactful, obviously, as it, for me as it was then. And I pray that it has something to say to you profoundly. So I want to ask a question. What is the one thing in life that everyone wants but very few seem to find? Let me ask it again. What is the one thing in life that everyone wants but very few seem to find? Well, the answer, it's, it's, it's in the title of our, of, uh, in our bulletin, but it's contentment. Contentment is what everyone wants. It's simply what we were made for, to be satisfied, fully satisfied. It is pursued by every living person, from the college student to the entrepreneur. The poor and the wealthy, the young and the old. And this little psalm, these three verses, have a big message. You were created to have your heart satisfied. But there's a problem. Contentment seems impossible to achieve. It can feel like trying to climb a rope made of sand to the moon. Every time you get a few inches above the ground, the rope crumbles in your hands. And how many of us here are still struggling to find that sweet spot in life? Call contentment. How many of us in here think that contentment is just over the horizon of all of our hard work and effort? It's just over the horizon. If I can just get that dream, get that goal, accomplish that thing, make this amount of money, solidify my place in the world, secure my future. It's not, but it's not to be found now, it's to be found later, after you and I have achieved something of some sort. Well, J.C. Ryle, the famous 19th century English, um, Anglican preacher, he said this about contentment. Two things are said to be very rare sights in the world. One is a young man humble and the other is an old man content. Why is it rare? If we were made to have it, why is it such a rare thing and so hard to find? Well, this psalm is not just a psalm with a big message. It's a psalm with a precise diagnosis to our problem. You were created to have your heart satisfied in God, but we, you and I, search for it in everything else but God. It's as though our souls have an allergy to the singular remedy to our condition. And our souls are left in perpetual angst. I would even go go as far to say this. It's almost an acceptable, celebrated angst. If you're not grinding, you're not winning. You've heard it being said. If you're not exhausting yourself to the bone, picking up this job and that job, this and that, that and the other, just to secure whatever it is that they're pursuing, it's a celebrated angst. If you're not feeling it, somehow you're not living. it, It pervades everything. So what exactly is contentment? And I believe the psalm is 
describes contentment this way. Contentment is an inward quietness of soul that freely accepts and delights in whatever life God gives. And get this, even if it's not the life you want. Contentment is an inward quietness of soul that freely accepts and delights in whatever life God gives, even if it's not the life you and I wanted. So here in 131, we have before us a, it's a pretty surprising blueprint. If you're looking for David to tell us point by point, this is how you find contentment. Follow these, follow this blueprint and you'll find it. You will be disappointed. It's, it's, but he doesn't give a blueprint. He, like, he gives like an MRI where he shines a light into our soul and we see the things that hinder us. It's, he shows us the problems first before he gives us the solution. So this is not just a psalm with a big message or a psalm with a precise diagnosis. This is a psalm that reveals the secret to contentment. And here's, here's how it's laid out for us, I believe. The first, he says, he shows us three areas where he's found victory in his life, and we'll find that in verse 1. Secondly, he'll, he says that contentment looks more like a baby than it does a master. We see that in verse 2. And lastly, he surprises us by telling us that this psalm is ultimately not about us. Not about us. So, first, David says he's found contentment in three areas of his life. The heart, the eyes, and let's call the second half of verse one the mind. The heart. Notice what he says. Oh, Lord, my heart is not proud, not lifted up. I want you to first notice that this work towards contentment is first an inward work, the heart. In the heart, oh Lord, my heart. And this is a, it's not a small point to make, it's very significant. Because you and I often treat the pursuit of satisfaction and contentment are built, we believe that they're built from the outside in. If we just get that, then I will be content inside. If I just get that thing, then contentment will find its way into my heart. Get that job, get that degree, write that book, whatever it may be. And then contentment will come rushing in and will finally be satisfied. But that's not how contentment works. And that's not the type he's referring to. See, the business of finding this contentment has everything to do with the heart. And the heart must be dealt with first and foremost. So what exactly is the heart? If you've been around Christian circles long enough, this is a, this is a Sunday school type answer or a Sunday school type, type question, but it's worth repeating. The heart in the Bible, obviously, is not just a beating organ in your chest, but it describes the totality of a person and who you are at your essential core. Not who you make yourself to be out in public, but who you are down deep inside. It's like whenever you're, if, if, if you're driving here and you got stopped at a red light and you got frustrated and you got angry at the light as though it were against you, that's you. That's you. That's who you are. And David says, deep down there at the essential core of who I am, no pride. That's what the idea of lifted up. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. That's a poetic way of saying my heart is not big-headed. 
It's not boastful. Jonathan Edwards said this about pride. Pride is the worst viper in the heart. It it lies lowest of all in the foundation of the whole building of sin. Of all lusts, it is the most secret, deceitful, and unsearchable in its ways of working. It is ready to mix with everything. And there's nothing that so infects who we are as pride. Pride makes us assert ourselves, doesn't it? It makes us put us first at all cost. Sometimes intentionally, sometimes it's like it's just the natural reflex of our soul, the me first mentality. You know, there can be pride, and, and it, this, this, this pride shows itself in a variety of ways. Just for example, one, there can be pride in our rightness of views, so much so that we become distasteful to our neighbor. We can hold a view so proudly that I discovered this and that person must be wrong. They are wrong. And we strut, our chests are puffed out. But I would venture to say that pride is often more subtle than the outward displays of pride. We pull out our favorite book, and I like to call this book The Beginner's Guide to Giving Your Sin a New Name. We change the name of our ego and we call it confidence and courage. I'm just a straight shooter, that's all it is. I'm just an extrovert, I'm just an introvert. All the while, pride is the cancer that quietly grows and spreads, eventually killing the very possibility of love and contentment. And David says, deep in his heart, he has no pride. But the other victory, so he has victory in the heart. And then it says something curious. My eyes are not raised too high. What does he mean by eyes are not raised too high? Well, the eyes in the Bible, especially in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the closest thing we can get to it is the word that we, word that we have, ambition. Ambition. My eyes, my ambitions is not raised too high. Let me tell you a, 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 a Greek tragic tale. Have you heard of the story of Icarus? All right, children, you're going you're gonna to like this story. Hear this story, children. So Icarus was a young boy, and his father wanted to give him a great big gift. So you know what his father did? His father got all the wax in the kingdom, and he, and he built for both of them wax wings to fly all over the land. So he has wax wings on, and they're flying, and they're soaring, and then the sun, Icarus, sees the sun itself and says, I want to go closer. So he, he flaps, and he goes closer and closer and closer and closer to the sun, and what do you think happens? Comes crashing down, because Max always walks before, the, before heat. What's the point? Ambition, in a sense, is trying to fly so close to the sun, exceeding our capabilities, and it kills us. Now, here's where ambition, I have to be careful here. Because in our modern day, the way we use ambition, we go back and forth with how we use it, right? Ambition can just mean hard work. Ambition can just mean setting goals, which we should. We are created to set goals and to accomplish things and to work hard. Whatever God puts 
into our hands, right? We're, we're meant to do that. But ambition, believe it or not, when you look at the, the way the word has, has transformed over time, ambition has most often taken a negative viewpoint. It was a dangerous thing to be ambitious. It was to reach beyond itself. A person who was ambitious was to reach beyond themselves and it was to show how selfish they were and how prideful they were. And David says, Lord, I don't have this great ambition. I don't have it. Now, how does that strike you? How does that strike you here to not have any ambition? Does it sound lazy? Does it sound happy? Does it sound promising? What David wants us to see, this is, if you, if you and I want to be content, we have to deal with our pursuits. We have to deal with the dreams we have. Just because we dream it doesn't mean God wants it for us. David says in his heart, there's no pride in his eyes. There's not this overstretching ambition. But then the mind, he says, nor do I occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. The word occupy, I I, I like that, but let me give a picture. It literally almost says, I do not walk about in things too great and too marvelous for me. So what does he mean by that? And why do I reference the mind? Well, I believe a lot of our anxieties in life, a lot of our, a lot of the things that war against our contentment is often being so consumed in the unanswerable questions of life. Such as, why didn't God give me this? Or, why did God give me this? I don't want that. But you have it. Do you see how all of these are connected? Pride and ambition. And how it's connected to how the, 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 very, the very expectations we have in life, the very questions we even ask about God himself. And David says... He does not walk about in those things. Now, the term too great and too marvelous, these are, these are very specific words that are used, and almost every single time this word great and marvelous are used, it's always a reference to things that only God can do. For instance, in, in, in the book of Exodus, whenever the, whenever the ten plagues were happening, the word used there for, for, for miracle are these words, and only God can do it. How many of us in here are consumed and filled with angst over trying to answer, have God answer a question that he has not promised to answer? That you and I just have to trust him purely and simply. He has not promised to give you an answer to those questions. So he's found victory in the heart, no pride. He's found victory in the eyes, no selfish ambition. He's found victory in the mind. He just simply trusts God with the answers that he can't find. Well, then the question is, okay, David, how did you come about conquering these things? No pride, no ambition, humble thinking, 
Well, he tells us that he found it, and he tells us through imagery. This is, this is pretty, very, very important. He says, contentment and this battle for contentment looks more like a baby than it does a master. Now, remember, David here is speaking. David himself fought many battles, and he won many battles. He had that imagery at his disposal. David also was an expert harpist. He had that imagery at his disposal. But he doesn't use that. He doesn't say, look how I've mastered, I've, I've learned how to strum the harp, or I've learned how to conquer my foes, and here's how you apply that to contentment. No, he says, look at the baby. Look at the baby. And that's exactly what contentment looks like, specifically a wean and child. He says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Don't you and I want that? Calm and quiet as a soul? The turmoil in your heart to be gone, to be settled, to be at peace. Don't you want that? I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child upon his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. The nature of contentment is found in the picture of a baby. Now that should humble us. Well, first let's look at these two words, calmed and quieted. Now, we, we can take that as merely just silence of mind. But it has more to do, these two words have more to do with like being, at, being so at awe at something that speech fails you. That all complaining just, it, it just goes away. For instance, just imagine if you've ever been to a, a, a grand mountain and you're at the precipice looking over this grand mountain, looking over the cascading hills. Who would stand there and complain about the money they don't have? I find it very striking every time I take trips to beautiful vistas, when I stand and look at the beauty, guess what I don't do? I don't complain. I don't complain. The problems are still there, but I don't complain. And David, that's this idea of calmed and quiet. But he says more. As I said, this calmness and quiet looks like a weaned child. Now, what is a weaned child? Well, I can tell you this is something that my son is not yet. I have quite some time before that happens. But a weaned child is that child who has moved from the supply and demand phase to the trusting phase. Where the child no longer just cries and cries and cries and cries, demanding, demanding, demanding. But it comes to a point when, when the mother can look at the child and say, child, mommy has it under control. Wait. The child is simply okay with the presence of the mother. Satisfied with the presence of the mother. And David says, that is my heart. I may not have the life that I want. I may not be in the situation that I dreamed of. I may never achieve that dream. Tragedy may strike me unexpectedly. But if I have you, I'm okay. If I have you, I'm okay. And the weaned child has learned that. Has learned that. You see, you and I, I believe, pursue contentment. And we stop really at the first half of verse 2. We'll work hard to get calmed and quiet. But that just can sometimes become an exercise in pride itself. 
That's why David has to liken it. He doesn't just leave us with calmed and quiet. I have calmed and quieted my soul. No, he says, I've calmed and quieted by having something happen to me. I've had to learn it. I've been passive in the act, but I've learned it. God has given me over and over things that I don't want. And not given me things that I want. But I've had to learn that if I have him, I have the source of happiness itself. And I'm okay. What does Jesus say in in the Gospels? Don't be anxious about anything. And then he says, look at the lilies of the field. Look at them. They're well-dressed. And the Lord, adore, he, he dresses them. How he'll, he'll take care of you. Or to consider the follicles in your hair. Not a single one of them will fall out apart from the will of your Heavenly Father. Or consider the promises that, 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 the, that the Lord gives you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Or how about this one? If God the Father has given us all, if, if, if God is for us, who or what can be against us? Do you hear those promises? Those promises, take them into your heart because they will save your life. They'll save, as, my, as one preacher used to say, they'll save your bacon. And some of the, most, some of the darkest, most difficult moments of your life, take those promises to heart and be like that weaned child. I don't have what I want. Or I have what I don't want, but Lord, I have you. And if I have you, I have absolutely everything. So David says he's, had, he's found contentment. He's found victory over three areas in his heart. The heart, the eyes, and the mind. And the way he's found that victory is that it looks more like a child and not a master. But surprisingly, he tells us this, this psalm is ultimately not about you and me. Now, what, what are you, Jerry, what are you talking about? You've just applied all of this to us. What do you mean it's not about primarily you and me? Well, scan over the text again. Did, did you notice it's not a prayer for contentment? He's actually making an argument that he is content. This is, he's making an argument here. He's defending himself. And this is absolutely essential for understanding the biblical idea of contentment. And here's why. Because you and I can't pray this prayer as it is written. Who among you can say, oh Lord, my heart is not prideful? That I don't have too strong of ambition. That I don't question you, Lord, whenever difficult, difficult times come. Who in here can pray this prayer as it is written? We can pray for it. But David is doing something far grander. He's saying, I have it. Now, this is important because remember, remember who's writing this psalm. It's David, right? Okay. So there's two things I want you to see. One is, remember, the way you and I are to read the psalms is not through the lens of ourselves, but through the lens of Christ. The psalms are primarily about the heart and life and emotional life of Jesus Christ. So when we hear David praying this, it's almost like he's speaking above his station. Because it's ultimately pointing to the one who can pray it. Who can say, oh, Father, my heart is free from pride. 
my heart, my eyes are free from ambition. I only want to do your will, Father. And I trust you whenever I'm at the precipice of, of, of destruction. I trust that this is your will and much good will come out of it. But there's something in the psalm itself. Something in the psalm itself that's not quite plain in the English translation. But I want to make it plain because it has profound gospel implications. The transition from my mind, I'm not caught up in things too great or too wonderful for me. Then he says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. That but I right there, this is, this is fascinating. That but I there is a unique way of the, of, of, of the Hebrew language, and especially here in the psalm, of saying this, I swear it. There's an implied opposite to it. It's, it's like he's saying, oh, Lord, my heart, oh, oh, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And if I have not, Lord, rebuke me. If I'm lying, rebuke me. Why is David making an oath here? This is dangerous territory. Who would do that? Who would make an oath to God? I have not done this. You'd be found out in a heartbeat. Remember who is writing the psalm. David as king of Israel. And kings of Israel were representatives of the nation. David is almost saying, O Lord, if I'm not content, these people will fall. If I'm not content, I will not be able to lead your people. This is extremely, extremely, extremely important. And this is why the psalm is not primarily about us. It's about the one, the one true king, Jesus Christ, who can say it. Now, you may say, Jerry, okay, I get it. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. But if Jesus has it, how do, why is that important for me? How is that important for me? If one person has it and I can't pray it, why is that significant for me? Well, let me give an illustration. And this is one illustration that some of you in here were old enough to remember. Um, others will not. And there'll be one in here who do, does not like this illustration. I can promise you that, Craig. So, <laughs> so 1998, the Chicago Bulls played the Utah Jazz. He's a Utah Jazz fan. <laughs> Michael Jordan to win a sixth NBA championship, scores the winning point. And I remember as a, young, as a young teenage boy, watching with my family, he scores a point and me and my family, we jump up for joy. We jump up and we're pumping the, our fists and high-fiving. Did I shoot the shot? No, I wasn't even there. But I had the exact same joy Michael Jordan had when he scored. It's almost as if he gave it to me. That it became mine. And as we look at the one who does have contentment, and what that, mean, what that meant for him, imagine if he wasn't content. If Jesus was not content, he would have never gone to the cross. At all. If he was too prideful, he would have never incarnated himself to come to us. At all. It would have been below him. 
if he had too high of an ambition in not simply to do the Father's will, he could have done much better things and die for us. Contentment, my friends, is found ultimately in him. Let me conclude with this short, short, short little illustration or story. So when Alexander the Great visited the Greek philosopher Diogenes, he asked him, he asked him one question. If there's anything, he asked him if there's anything that he wanted, Alexander the Great said, I'll give it to you. Think about it. Here is the great conqueror who's conquered nation after nation. He has so many things to give at his disposal. And Diogenes gave a short answer. I want nothing but that you would not stand between me and the sun. That's all he wanted. Was that he, the great Alexander the Great would not stand between him and the sun. He was satisfied with the sunshine. How freeing would that be for you if all you wanted in life was Jesus and him alone? Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.